0: The following sermon is from 5th Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of 5th Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to fapc.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with 5th Avenue Presbyterian Church. Let's listen together to this sacred story as it echoes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, beginning with the 28th verse. After he had said this, Jesus went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent Two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. People kept spreading their cloaks on the road as he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven, and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. As a kid, I, I like to watch old movies with my parents. I especially enjoyed screwball comedies. Bringing Up Baby with Cary Grant and Katherine Hepburn. Some Like It Hot with Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, and Jack Lemmon. One of the screwball films that really stuck in my young mind though, was a more obscure 1955 movie entitled The Court Jester. Starring Danny Kaye, Angela Lansbury, and a villainous Basil Rathbone, the movie makes gleeful use of Kaye's elastic face and freakish dexterity. His Giacomo, the jester, sings and dances and stumbles through this crazy plot, all in an effort to protect the rightful heir to the throne of England from a would-be usurper. This goofy movie got me started on what has become a lifelong interest in court jesters. Fools, as Shakespeare often called these individuals, fools are fascinating figures. A jester's job is to be nimble entertainment and comic relief for royalty, breaking the tension in the throne room and and keeping heads from flying. At the same time, it is the jester's job to tell the truth. In fact, the fool was sometimes the only figure who could tell the truth to a king or a queen without being killed. During his rule in the 1500s, King James VI of Scotland developed a reputation for being more than a little irresponsible okay, somewhat lazy in fulfilling his official duties. Uh, many at the court observed that, that James would often sign official papers before reading them. This was a potentially serious problem for the kingdom and it fell to George Buchanan, the King's scholar jester, to remedy the situation. One day, George the jester walked into the throne room and handed King James a scroll, a pen, and a pot of ink. This is for you to sign, my lord, and without looking, the king quickly scrawled his name. At this, George began to dance. He taunted James with the scroll. Vacate my throne, you old fool, the jester demanded of the king. I should say former king, because the paper James had just signed made George the king of Scotland for the next 15 days. And yes, it made James the court fool. When the brief abdic- abdication was over, James the sixth never again signed an official document before reading it. Upstairs in the church house here in my office, I have a print hanging on the wall that is entitled The Jester. It's by John August Swanson and it's one of my favorite pieces of religious art. This seriograph, an image created by by layers upon layers of brilliant ink being applied to a canvas, depicts a court jester standing on the top of a ladder. From this perch, the the jester opens a window, spilling starlight and moonlight into the room. Down below, this this flood of light reveals a prince wearing a crown, and other people lying asleep on a carpeted floor. In describing this work to me, Swanson once explained that the image came to him one day when he was reflecting on a passage from the Bible, a passage from 1 Corinthians. God chose what is foolish in the world to embarrass the wise. English painter Cecil Collins once wrote, the fool is innocent, spontaneous, and joyful, even Christ-like. As a result, he may be ridiculed by conventional society, although he actually has the sight which they have lost. The fool is innocent, spontaneous, and joyful, Christ-like. I agree. In fact, I would go Cecil one step further. The fool can be Christ-like, But sometimes, the fool, just plain, is Christ. At times, our Lord plays the jester, calling the powers that be into question, into accountability, beckoning us toward a truth that we can no longer see. And I think Palm Sunday is one of those times. Historians tell us that the same day that that Jesus entered Jerusalem through the eastern gate of the city, Pontius Pilate was entering the city through the westernmost gate. Every year, right before Passover, Pilate would travel from his posh seaside residence to Jerusalem, With a full Roman battalion, massive war horses and rattling drums, Pilate made sure that his arrival in the city was noticed. He was trying to make a point. You see, every Passover, thousands of Jews would travel to Jerusalem for the holy festival. They would gather as our Jewish friends will gather in the coming week with family members to read the story of Exodus, the story of Pharaoh's tyranny and God liberating their ancestors from slavery in Egypt. Now, if you live in an occupied city, Exodus is a fairly provocative story. It got people thinking. It got people talking every year at Passover. Here we are living under the thumb of a foreign power again. Yes, doesn't Caesar seem a lot like Pharaoh to you? Doesn't God want us to be free from our overlords? Questions would fly around the Passover table. Tempers would rise. Crowds would start tossing insults, maybe even rocks at Roman guards. Plots would be hatched. Rebellion would be rumored. Pilate hated Passover. Keeping the lid on Jerusalem during this sacred week took every ounce of political cunning and public brutality he could muster. So every year he began the festival by by firing a warning shot. Pilate would ride through the western gate, followed by scores of cavalry, decked out in mirrored armor. He wanted to to sear the the image of highly trained warriors into the city's collective retina. His point was unmistakable. If you act out, I will crush you. I won't hesitate, I won't be merciful. Cross the line and I will paint the streets with your blood. Pilate knew how to make an entry. Now, consider the text that we just read from the Gospel of Luke. Next to Pilate, Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem looks like a Saturday Night Live sketch. I'm serious. Palm Sunday mocks Pilate's swagger. Instead of a charger, Jesus rides in on an un broken colt and an undisciplined steed. Instead of armored soldiers, Christ surrounds himself with a motley crew of disciples. Together they kind of wobble into Jerusalem and the crowds love it. They they hoot and they holler, this fellow knows how to put the Romans in their place. This dude on the donkey, this is king material, Just, just saying. Caught up in the moment, people pulling tree branches to the ground. They they hug strangers, they dance, they quote scripture. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Swept up in the frenzy, women and men rush along, not, not entirely even sure why they're shouting and smiling and waving palms. But eventually, of course, the buzz wears off. It has to. Eventually the sun dips below the horizon. Sanitation workers start sweeping up after the parade. People look at each other and smile in an embarrassed way. (laughs) Was that you, Werner? (laughs) Hanging off the edge of the roof shouting, Son of David! Sarah, I I hope that the centurions didn't get a video of you dancing in the street. You'll never get a job at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church that way. (laughs) Slowly, but inevitably, decorum returns, reason returns, fear returns. Who was that guy, someone asks? A prophet uh, from Nazareth. A dead prophet, someone else mutters if he keeps mocking Pilate with that donkey routine. As soon as Jesus enters Jerusalem, ominous drums start to beat. Violent forces uncoil. Shadows and threats drift through the holy city. This, scripture warns, this is where prophets come to die. As Christ rides through the streets, the testimony offered by God's jester feels less and less funny, more and more risky, less triumphant, more foolish. We know how these stories end. We know what happens when idealists get caught in the crosshairs of the ruthless. We've seen the images coming out of Bukha, Ukraine. This world tramples the innocent and the kind. Golly, it all started out so joyful. Why does Palm Sunday turn and take us down this solemn path? Three reasons. Reason number one. Because it's true, this is how the world is. Palm Sunday is for realists. Our tradition does not deny the violence that would claim us, it it emphasizes the suffering. It it points to Good Friday, it it charts a path to Calvary. At every step of Christ's ride through Jerusalem, our faith draws attention to what lies ahead to the god-awful, painfully absurd, life-stealing stupidity of the horrors to come. Why? Because they're real. Palm Sunday takes us down this sober path because it's true. Reason number two, Palm Sunday takes us down this path is... To show us a better way. Astride his wobbly steed, the, the jester critiques our violent madness. He, he inverts it. In, in the face of polished armor, Jesus goes gentle, a- and others follow suit. For, for a brief time, the people of Jerusalem embrace this, this upside-down world, they, they throw branches and coats in the street, they, they pave a soft path for the Prince of Peace. Their hearts long for an alternative to Pilate's polished armor. They seek a different way, and at our best, we do too. At this hour, many people are fighting in Ukraine, many others in Ukraine and in countries all around Ukraine are seeking to provide help to those uprooted by this terrible war. By now, you've probably heard the story of Hassan, an 11-year-old boy who left his home in Zaporizhia, a city in Southern Ukraine and journeyed over 600 miles to reach his brother and sisters in Slovakia. Hassan embarked on this journey by himself. Hassan's mom needed to stay in Zaporizhia to care for her elderly mother. So she put this brave little fellow on a train with his red backpack and some official documents in a plastic bag and his brother's phone number written across the back of his hand in ink. Hassan made this perilous journey by himself, but we should observe that he was not alone. He was helped by kindly border guards in Ukraine, and then by sensitive customs agents in Slovakia, and then by a Christian relief organization who managed to make contact with Hassan's brother and who have now reunited the entire family, bringing Hassan's mother and his grandmother and his scruffy dog all safely to Bratislava. Over one million children have fled Ukraine in the last six weeks. Many of them traveled alone. Arriving in Slovakia, Hassan's mother remarked, There are people with big hearts in your small country. Please save our children. Please protect our Ukrainian children. Reason number two that Palm Sunday takes us down this sober path to show us a better way. Reason number three that Palm Sunday sends us down a solemn path is to instill courage in our hearts. People of faith, we have work to do. We are called to show forth Christ's alternative way to proclaim his upside-down perspective to the world. On the cover of today's bulletin is a painting by English artist Frank Dixie. Take a look at it. It's entitled the two crowns. It's easy to see the first crown, a golden jewel-encrusted circlet sitting on the brow of an armored king, a conquering hero who's welcomed by young maidens who toss rose petals under the hooves of his white charger. To see the other crown, we need to follow the eyes of this knight up into the shadows. There, His arms spread wide, we see our crucified king crowned with thorns. Palm Sunday Sunday challenges the faithful to keep this shadowed cross in the peripheral vision of the powers that be. Reminding those who govern of one whose power depends not on polished armor, but on sacrificial love. A love that still seizes people's imaginations and and has us rooting for for 11-year-old boys and their little red backpacks with every fiber of our being. In his letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul observed that first century Greeks often described early Christians as fools. Palm Sunday encourages us to embrace that label. After all, we follow Christ through this crazy world. One who pries open jammed windows to let the truth shine in. A jester who brings light to dark places. A bright-eyed soul who rides a donkey through this violent world, determined, forever determined, to bless it and yes, to save it. Go forth from this place, my friends, to follow the jester of God into holy week. Have courage. Hold fast to what is good. Do not return evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering, honor all people, love and serve the Lord. Amen.